Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello, and welcome to what is categorically, without question, undeniably. Chapter 62 of the Corona Diaries. That was a sort of circus ringmaster introduction, wasn't it? Yes, it or, was a bit. Um, well, the good after all days. the kerfuffle about whether it was 60 or 61 before, I mm. thought I'd be clear and for the record today. I thought you were going to throw an indubitably in at one point. I, I don't think I'd have got through it. <laughs> I, that's one of those words I struggle with. Oh, right. Well, well, it's not needed that often, is it? So you're all right. No. No, it makes me think of Phil Jupitus, and that takes me off in a whole different direction. <laughs> Injupitously. <laughs> that's a good word. See, I couldn't say that, but that's a great word. I saw him at a Rufus Wainwright gig in Hammersmith once, and he gave Niall his autograph. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, that's very good of him. His autograph, not Rufus Wainwright's autograph. No, his own. Yeah, Niall asked him if he could have his autograph, and he, he, he scribbled in it. Uh, he's not been on anything for a while, has he? No, no, he hasn't. I've seen him for a wee while. No, he's on QI sometimes, isn't he? Yeah, but yeah. Okay. How are you anyway? Uh, are you all recovered from your real world? Well, I'm starting to worry that if I tell the truth, people are going to think I never stop drinking, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to worsen my reputation as some kind of aging losh. Uh, but I'm hang. I've got a hangover. I had a, a skin full of gin last night. Because... <laughs> Do you measure gin in skinfuls? <laughs> it seems a little uncouth for gin, that. Once it starts seeping through your pores, you know you've got a problem. <laughs> I've had um, a kidney dousing, a liver dousing of gin. <laughs> I, it was Lynetta's 50th, and if that's not a good reason to get sloshed and go berserk, well, what is? What is? Um, however, it does... It does it does beg the question, what about all the other times then, H? Um, but this was a, although it wasn't a one-off, <laughs> it was a one-off. Right. Did so, you have a nice day? We had a lovely day. We went, what did we do? What did we do? We uh, got off to a bad start, as most days do, with me doing the school run at half past seven, mm. which is never a good way to start the day. Um and then we went and picked his nibs up uh, because he had to go and get a little X-ray on his foot. But that was that was straightforward. Uh, he's got his foot hurts during <laughs> during hot weather. <laughs> okay, <laughs> who knows? Um, uh, and then we went to Oxford um, and had lunch at oh. uh, at, a, at a nice. Nice restaurant called Quad, on the um, on the bridge on the high street by the up by the Magdalen Bridge, uh, which is also a hotel called the Old Bank. I'm giving them a plug, but I bet they don't knock me any money off off the rooms. Um, and um, we went there, and it's a great restaurant. And I once saw Tom York in there. Actually, did you really? I did. Yeah, yeah. Having a natter with a bloke with a beard. Um, I'd expect him to natter with blokes with beards. <laughs> he looked. He gave me a good look up and down as I went past. Uh, ah. That could have been more to do with my fashion sense. <laughs> than, well, we'll uh, get on to that in a moment. Anything else. But we went to Quad and we had a burger. And uh, then what did we do? Oh, then we went over to the Alchemist in the Westgate because Lidanza was on a mission um, to have a cocktail on her 50th birthday. 
And then we went to Sticks and Sushi and bought a load of sushi to bring home because Vibes like sushi more than anything on earth. Uh, of course, because it costs a bloody fortune. And um, then we came home and then Niall came over and we all had tea, we all had sushi together. And then um, a few chums from the village came over and we all drank champagne and gin. Oh. See, that's just the rock star life, mate. Mm. Mm. That's how I live. Mm. <laughs> And, of course, no issue with having to ask anybody in the village for ice. No, because I've got my own machine there. Mm. 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 This, is, this is something, if you're not purple, you won't know this because <laughs> this was in the Olds and Sodcasts, but you have, you have an ice machine, don't you, that you, you've, you've taken to taking with you when you go places. Yes, if I leave the village, it goes with me now. Yeah. <laughs> not that I've got a drink problem or anything. <laughs> Well, no, in that instance, you've got an ice problem. <laughs> so, yes, we were at Real World last night. Not last night, last week. So I took the ice machine with me in a, in a fit of genius, um, which was a fit of genius because Real World may be a cathedral of unbelievably expensive technology, but Mr Gabriel hasn't furnished the guest rooms with ice machines. I mean, no. what was he thinking? No. Uh, still, you know, you can't think of everything. And I, I thought Peter already had, mm. but um, he forgot. He forgot about the alcoholics. Is there no little comments book on the way out that you could have left a note? <laughs> everything great, <laughs> but where was the ice? <laughs> there baby. The ice, ice, baby. I don't know if there is a guest book at Real World. But oh. We've been about five times and uh, I think they put it away when we're coming. <laughs> Don't, Along with anything valuable. They don't want anyone to know we've been in case it's bad for business, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it also... We'll, we'll do a little plug here. Do a little plug here for the, um, for the extra bits of content. And if you're not purple and you're thinking about becoming purple, so if you're thinking about maybe um, becoming a, a, a patron of the show, then... Um, th- a great example would be this this odds and sodcast because there was a bit of an insight into what was going on with the new album, um, mm. which was which was interesting. There was the whole story of the ice machine, which was very interesting, but also your rendition of My Old Man's Dustman uh, to the tune of Games Without Frontiers. Yes, which uh, we got on about My Old Man's Dustman somehow, didn't we, in the last podcast? And then it it did a, and so then it was suggested that I did the Croon cast. Uh, as my old man's a dustman, which in which of course core blimey trousers get mentioned, so extremely relevant, and a little bit relevant to sartorial elegance. Indeed, too. Get on to that in a minute. Um, but um, yes, in in doing so, I suddenly realised that games without frontiers um, and my old man's a dustman were were perfectly interchangeable in the verse, and. Uh, and so I probably did. I sing it. You did. You did. You gave us two verses of it. It was really, really good. A cappella, no less. <laughs> well, if somebody could send me the, you know, the instrumental stems of um, Games Without Frontiers, maybe, maybe I'll do it for Christmas. Or something. I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that that's in process. Looking at some of the comments this morning, uh, we've mentioned before, but on the on the Patreon platform, when when the um, the uh, the content goes up on there. There's a there's a there's a healthy debate normally ensues, and somebody reckons they've they'll be able to find those stems. Right. So they they may well be on their way. So you may be held to that. I might have to see if I can't contact Peter and get him to sing verse two. Oh, oh, I wonder if he now be up you're for talking. That. I mean, if he's in the right mood, he might. <laughs> That would be a coup, wouldn't it? I think that would be one hell of a coup. <laughs> I mean, the whole concept of it's cool as you like, but getting Peter to do verse two would be absolutely immense. Yeah, well, I'm sure I know someone who knows him. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know where to find him. Yeah, well, I know, uh, well, I know roughly where to find him. Roughly I certainly where know him. where to find people who know him. And where to find him. Yeah. Yes, right, okay. So we've alluded to what we're going to talk about today, but it also comes out of the 
the diary section um, because I've well we've both read the diary this morning for what will be in the uh, in in the chapter, and um, we're going to talk about your your particular take on sartorial elegance, aren't we? Well, apparently, uh, yes. You decided um, it was either that or books. It was I'm, that or books, and, and we didn't feel too, prepared. No, for I'm books. too hungover to <laughs> to even remember the things I've already said to you in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Here's me quoting you back to you and getting absolutely nowhere this <laughs> no, morning. No, no, I so that. that didn't work. So, so, and by that, <clears throat> there's a couple of things there because you've 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 had a number of particular looks in your time, haven't you? <laughs> I have. Um, I have indeed. Yeah. I, I suppose it started with the. Uh, what did it start with? It started with me being overweight as a teenager. When I was about 11, I was a bit moon-faced right. and took to wearing loud paisley shirts. And, oh, uh, that's I, a good look. And no, I haven't got any photographs and no, if I had, you wouldn't be seeing them. <laughs> um, so I think that was... In fact, look number one was probably the um, the red coat and the bulldog. I had a red coat and little bar sandals. So that was the first look I remember rocking. The second look was probably the, the Paisley shirt. The third look was probably the um, um, corduroy, the gypsy cords. If anyone ever remembers gypsy cords, they were, they were made by Levi's and they were really cool. They were like the kind of thing Hendrix would have worn. And I used to have a couple of pairs of them. And and the bath, the stripy bathrobe, and the beads, and the yellow clogs. I went through that phase. Then I went to college and and bought a pair of uh, stack heeled, built up, metallic blue shoes. I think they were metallic blue and silver. They were like something that that Slade would have been wearing at the time. And I hobbled round college in them for a bit. Oh, that was so painful. I couldn't wear them. Um, you know, I'd go, I'd put them on if I was going out anywhere proper, but I'd be in agony within 10 minutes. So you re- you really had to suffer to wear those. Uh, that was a look for a while. And then, and then I went through the sort of post-punk. I had these really skin-tight, like, chef's trousers, the black and white, mm. the black and white um, checkerboard small black and white checkerboard squares all over them, skin tight, uh, that I wore in, in, the, um, in the latter days of, of uh, j- when, um, when Harlow were, were, were turning into the new Trinos, which is what we did when we went to London. We changed our name from Harlow to the new Trinos, then, then the van broke down and all of that. And then... Um, I joined the Europeans and went through the the red shiny raincoat phase because I I saw um, I saw Ringo wearing one. He was on the roof doing Get Back. Ringo's in a red red shiny raincoat, and I saw one in a shop in the King's Road and bought it. And I went to uh, and I went to LA in that. I walked around Los Angeles in forty degree heat for a week. <laughs> In a in a red plastic raincoat, <laughs> that was very sweaty, uh, but quite handy during the post punk period when people were on the front road be spitting at you. A, 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 a red shiny raincoat was was very protective. <laughs> you could always very practical. You could hold it up in front of your head a bit, you know, <laughs> and then and then hose it down at the end. So it was quite yeah. handy, quite quite hygienic. Um, so I had the red. Plastic. I think I think that's still in the roof of the racket club, but it's gone sticky with age. <laughs> I think it's slowly reverting to its component parts. Uh, I think it'd be an interesting experiment actually. If you take a red plastic mic and hang it on a peg for forty years, <laughs> what happens to it? It starts. <laughs> it starts to return to the earth. Um, <laughs> entropy overcomes it. Um, and so it's gone sticky. Last time I, I went up there, I had a look, it had definitely undergone a change of state. Um, 
so after that, then uh, and then I was in the Euros and the red plastic mark and all of that. And then, oh yeah, and then we did How We Live and I had this sort of slightly shiny silk suit. So, um, and a thin tie that I wore during the... Um, well, that sounds a bit Go Westy. Yeah, well, you know, I was young, it was the 80s. Yeah. And uh, so then I was wearing that and I remember, I remember wearing that. I remember being dressed in that as I was scuttling backwards outside Edinburgh Playhouse, vomiting, hearing the band strike up and play dry land and trying <laughs> to keep me tie out the sick. It was just dreadful. It's um, always the problem with ties, isn't it? That just, that's, <laughs> you know, that's the dilemma with a tie. Well, normally you take your tie off, don't you? I'm going to be sick, I'll take my tie yeah. off. But I was about to go on the stage, it wasn't an option. No. So, yes, I was in the little blue suit. I went through that phase with how we they, live. And... They all had shiny suits, actually thinking about it. The Giranis all had shiny oh, suits, yeah, didn't they, for well, a little was, while? There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... Uh... Did you ever come across the Giranis in your time, around about that time? No, I, I've never met... Have I met any other Giranis? I think I might have met the guitarist. Uh, I think I think I met Andy Taylor a Andy couple Taylor. of years back at the Hard Rock Calf, but I didn't realise it was him. Um, and who else was this? There was old Simon and Nick, wasn't there? And uh, what's his face? The good-looking bass player, bastard. Um, not that he's a bastard, just that. No, guess. no, no. Um, it's a good bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, he's one of those annoying people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I know. Obviously, Richard came across the Duranis a lot because they used to hang around backstage at Japan concerts, asking them for their autographs. The Duranis were massive Japan fans, uh, and they used to hang around backstage. And, and according to Richard, and, and I think it's probably true. Nick Rhodes has, has gone to any lengths over the years to look like David Sylvian. Mm. Um, um, so they were huge fans of Japan and they were always hanging about. Mm. Um, and then, of course, they became huge themselves. So, no, I've never met them, but my mate Nick Belcher, who I occasionally talk about, who tour managed all those, everybody, everybody huge, he tour managed the yeah, Duranis and the, told me lots of... That. Duran Duran yeah. stories, brilliant. Uh, anyway, little blue suit, shiny little suit. Little blue suit. Um, then moving, I mean, we're on the cusp now, aren't we, how we live, so yeah. we're on the cusp of me joining. Um, that was a more mainstream look, wasn't it? The how we live sort of time was a little bit more... Yes, a bit more of a mainstream look. Although it, I did, during the... Um, during the How We Live audition period, have my hair dyed blue, indigo blue at the roots. Um, so it was still black at the ends, but it was indigo blue where it came out of my head. Okay. That was an interesting look because it yeah. looked like I had blue hair but I dyed it black, you know, and the roots were showing. Right. But that was a great look until it had been washed three times and then it just faded away and looked like a blue rinse on an old deer. <laughs> Then it wasn't such a good look, uh, so I had I went through that phase, and then I joined the um, I, jo I joined Marillion and had that kind of early Adolf Hitler phase, where I had a side parting. I didn't have the moustache, obviously, but if you put a moustache on me, it's sort of you've got it. Uh, you you so know, that, somebody's going to do that now, don't you? On one of those <laughs> one of those pictures. <laughs> So when I first joined the band, there was this bunch of progress with Adolf Hitler singing for him, which was <laughs> one hell of an image. Um, yes, because I would have thought he'd be more into country, Adolf, if he was going to front a band. <laughs> well, I don't know, death metal. Um, but um, so then my hair just slowly over a period of time grew out Um Got long, didn't it? During yeah, it did. Afraid of Sunlight, the, yeah. the beautiful video. I've got quite a quite a head of hair on me. I've yeah. lost lost a lot of weight. I was I, I looked like a proper rock star at that point. 
Um, well, I was going to come around to that, actually, because one of the reasons why we, we, we talk in sartorial elegance is because mm. you mentioned in the diary about stage clothes for the, uh, for the AOS tour. Mm. Um, and I seem to remember, if I'm right, yours was a relatively simple stage outfit for the AOS tour, because I think it was black jeans, black T-shirt, few beads, and that was about it. Was it? Yeah, but there was well, a lot of hair going on. I can't remember any of it. I, <coughs> I remember I had a pair of Paul Smith pants with big yellow roses on them. They were like black jeans with big yellow roses on. Mm. They were quite interesting. Uh, I went through a Jean-Paul Gaultier phase where I, I wore nothing but Jean-Paul. And I used to go, it used to cost a fortune. Used to, all the colleagues to drain out the band's faces when I presented them with the stage clothes bills. And Mark used to mutter, oh, I don't know why we're spending all this money. Um, well, didn't but, John Paul just want to look like a sailor? Was it not lots of those blue and white hoop tops? Well, his own personal look was was very much that, yeah. But um, he he designed a lot of clothes and... You know, he'd have he liked a um, he liked to like a, a kilt or a or a skirt, so you could get sort of black sarongs and things. I never actually went to those heady excesses, but he had um, I had a fantastic uh, coat that I wore for years uh, with the purple stripe down the front, the purple mm. velvet, the red sort of maroon velvet stripe down the front, which was which I bought in New York. Um, and that was a Jean Paul, and that was a lot, that was a lot of money. I mean, it was just under a grand when I bought it way back in the eighties. So it was serious though, but it was fantastic. And it, you know, you just it was one of those jackets. You just looked great when you stuck it on. So if you stuck that on with a white shirt and a pair of black jeans, man, Dumb. you were happening. You mm. looked like a prince. Mm. Um, and of course, I've, I've much more, and I wore it for years on and off. And the last time I wore that jacket was when I did that gig at, um, oh, me, oh, I have had a lot of gin. Um, but it was at, um, what's that bloody gig in Germany on top of a hill, named after a castle, Prague, um, the Prague gig, the outdoor one that people do. Oh, Laurelie. That's it. Uh, when I did Laurelie was um, that band, that Swedish band. It's Silda's pain. It's Silda's pain. My brain is currently a bit like a soup and there's, just, there's not much floating. Most of it's gone to the bottom. Minestrone. Uh, but it, it, no, no, there's not that much floating. It's just more of like one one solitary crouton. Um, That's but, the title for the episode, isn't it? <laughs> one solitary crouton. <laughs> exactly, a crouton of solace. The, um, oh, the, the new bond. Oh. Uh, anyway, um, wrote Salman Rushdie. Anyway, where carry was, on. Where was it? It's Spain, yeah, did the, the album um, Colours Not Found in Nature with them and, and did, did a show with them and with Richard Barbieri. And that's the last time I wore that jacket, which wasn't that long ago. Huh? And I left it in a bloody cupboard in a oh. hotel in Germany. And I didn't even realise I'd left it there for about three months. There was no way on earth I was going to get that back by then. I think they'd probably... Um, and they'd either bend it or somebody, oh, some Germans walking about and it looking very cool. Yeah. And who could blame him? No, not. Or her. Or her. Know, it yeah. It looked yeah. good on the girl as well, that jacket. So that was a good phase. And then there's the offstage sartorial look, which tends to be core blimey trousers and... Uh, Whatever's, whatever's at the top in the wardrobe when I open it in the morning. Uh, Lucy used to say I looked like I got dressed in the dark always, you know, because nothing would ever go together. It would just be whatever was on the... Mm. So I don't make a lot of effort during... anymore, you know, d during my quiet time. Um, 
As but, somebody who's wandered through Racket, though, on, on a quiet Tuesday when nobody's made any effort, you don't look out of keeping. That seems a bit harsh that Lucy should suggest that you look like you've got dressed in the dark when you... It's not like everybody else is... No. No, cheeky cow. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there is to be said. <laughs> and there we have it. Won't make that the title of the episode. <laughs> Stick with one solitary crouton. But... Um, <laughs> So where do you get the core blimeys from then? Do you have a particular um, supplier? Well, well, Bowden are quite, you know, Bowden do jammy bottoms and uh, I think the ones I'm wearing right now are, are Bowden. Bowden. If I stick my leg up... Quite, oh, yes. Very fetching, nice. I've seen that pair. Yeah. That's uh, a, that's a, they're, an, they're an ever-present. Well, not ever-present, they're a <laughs> evergreen. I just wear them till they fall apart and then replace them. <laughs> and everybody in the village thinks... Thinks they're my pajamas, and they just think I I don't get dressed. <laughs> That's a great reputation to have. <laughs> oh, oh, no wonder you keep that one spinning. <laughs> so um, I'm wearing a white linen shirt this morning. Yeah, yeah, you, you've, you've, yeah. I was quite well. You must have known we were going to be talking about, you know, clobber. What actually happened was I got up, put a t-shirt on, and it, I couldn't cope with it because I was hungover. And it was all a bit too hot, and I, I was hot and bothered. Uh, I thought, oh, I can't, can't get through the day in this. I'm going to need something that breathes a bit. So, right. so that's why I'm in the linen. Uh, right. I'm, I'm trying to escape my own skin. Have you ever done the whole Graham Green thing and gone with the the full linen, the kind of the you know the 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 light beigey suit and the and the hat and the? I can see you carrying that off. No, I've I've always looked like a terrible twat in a hat. Um, <laughs> twat in a hat. Really, any kind of headwear, I look ridiculous. Uh, mm. I just haven't got the face for it. I haven't. I can't do it. I can't. I can't do hats. No, I've 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 not found a hat yet that, that you know isn't a, a huge mistake. Oh, on a try. Oh, I, I look Even a in proper front. bell end in a cap. Right. Well, we have that in common. So I've not really done a hat. Um, have I done a? I haven't done the full linen suit. I had a, I had a sort of cream coloured suit by uh, Reese, or are they Rice? R E I double S, Reese, Reese, I think. Um, at one point that I wore a wedding. I don't know whose wedding could have been my own. Um, and that that. Oh, no, I did have a white linen suit. In fact, I did one of my first H Naturals in a white suit. The birth, you did? The birthday suit. The, you gig. did. That was a yes. white linen, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, I saw you wear that in Sheffield. You were lucky to get out alive. <laughs> I've always been lucky to get out of Sheffield alive <laughs> from, the, from day one, really. From day one. <laughs> Not to mention the rest of the North. <laughs> yes. Well, when you told me you used to go to the... I'm trying to think what the club was in Retford you used to go to, and, and I thought, grief, I'm surprised you got out of that one alive. That, was the, that wasn't the limit. The limit was in Sheffield, wasn't limit it? The limit was Sheffield. What was that gig in Retford? I know the one you're on about. We played yeah, up, there. Up, uh, yeah, upstairs. Oh, it's in the middle of the high street, and it's upstairs, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think what that club was called, but you did well to get out of that one alive. Yes. Yeah, I did well to get out of anywhere alive. And sometimes I got out barely alive. <laughs> <laughs> so clothes wise, we're still on clothes then. So you join the band. We do the we do the kind of the um the season's end kind of get ups. Those that oh, white yeah. trousers the, and white shirt get up. That all got left in a bin liner on the yes. third show. Yeah, that was a load of well, that started out black. There was a that was a black linen outfit as well. Uh, that was all Paul Smith, um, and had the Seasons End Snowflake logo embroidered into it. Um, and then and then the tour manager left them all in the in a bin liner in Marseille, never seen again. Uh, and so th- that all. Then I went kind of white, didn't I? I went you white, went all white, white collarless shirts. Then yeah. with the with the, the logo, logo in black, um, and black jeans. I think. After no, it was that. white. It was white pants. White pants rolled up. 
Oh, like yeah. A, oh, I'd forgotten uh, that phase. Yeah. yeah. White pants the, rolled up. Yeah, that was the sort Very of... Very banana-rama. Ba- baggy white pants at the back end of the 80s. Yeah, I was yeah. doing that. I always vowed I wouldn't wear a pair of blue jeans. And I didn't wear a pair of blue jeans from being about 16. I think the first time I put a pair of blue jeans on after I was 16 was for the holidays in Eden um, thing. at uh, That might have been at Port Zealand even, where I wanted to kind of wear, reflect the colours of the holidays in Eden sleeve. Right. So I had that blue, that dark blue jacket made with the little embroidered uh, animals on the back and I wore blue jeans with it and that was the first time I stuck a pair of blue denim jeans on in about 40 years. Yeah, so I've never seen you in blue in blue denim. No, I don't do them. Um, no. But I did go through that kind of cream-coloured... Um, they, were, they weren't chinos, but they were that kind of thing and, and quite baggy, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, you rolled them up at the, at the, at the ankle yeah. and you had those black... Um, Boots on, yeah, yeah. like com- like cons, com- like Converse. Yeah, boots. black black on black cons. Yeah, I was yeah. I was wearing for um, the season's end tour. Yeah, um, and I used to flop about. That was the flopping about in a big shirt phase. That was the fl- yeah flouncing. Went to went to hook end in my baggy trousers and my big white shirt. Flopped about, drank pims. Yeah. Um, well, big shirts carried on because I seem to think, if I'm right, I'm terrible, I should remember all this. Mm. On holidays, you went black jeans, big white shirt and waistcoat, I think. Oh, yeah, those waistcoats were really nice. Uh, I've still uh, I've still got that somewhere. Now, that was, a com- that was a designer called Workers for Freedom. I don't think they exist anymore. And I had... I had a couple of their shirts. They, they wore... They, they made really nice stuff. Um... Again, in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, I think they were in Camden or somewhere, and they made that waistcoat that I I wore. And I had another three made by a lady in Liverpool who made replicas. Um, so I, you know, with various different coloured stripes on. They're still kicking about somewhere. Mm. Um there's a graveyard of my stage clothes in in the roof at the racket club hanging, hanging up. So I think they're up there somewhere. Um, so yes, the waistcoat, and then there was the Jean Paul, and then there was the big sort of coloured Peruvian jacket. Yes, there was that I did. I wore that in a photo. I bought that up the up the King's Road in a place called the Garage. Um, that's a cool coat. I think I've still got that kicking around as well. Um, and because it's big, you can kind of still wear it. Um, that was on a load of publicity shots for holidays. We did some shots with a guy called Andy Earl. Isn't it amazing? I can remember that. And not, they're on the beach, and weren't not they? Not even know what what, what Laurel is. Um, it's funny how these things just come. I think that's another crouton that's just floated to the top. <laughs> is it Andy Earl? Because um, we were all talking about him the other day. Um, and none of us could remember his name, including me. And now it's just there. It's funny just how those there. things come to the top, float about and go down again for another year. But Andy Earl was a photographer, or is a photographer, and we did a, we did a, a photo shoot down on the beach by the nuclear power station. I can't well, I won't be able to remember the name of that. Um, oh, I nearly did. It's got a name like Peenemunder. But it's not that because that's where that's where Hitler built the V one rockets. So it's not there. It's right. it's here. I was thinking of Sizewell, but it's not Sizewell, is it? No, it's the one where. Um... <laughs> 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 oh my kingdom for another crouton! Uh, where um, what's his face um, has his little house with his garden of stones? Film director. Um, uh, God. Writing, help me out. Help I'm, me out with, a, with another crouton. <laughs> it was. I'm, I'm lost now. I don't know where you are now. 
Derek Jarman, look, it flew. You're it not. You're thinking it, of Hinkley Point, are it you? Floated up. No, it's not Hinkley Point. It's right. down on the south coast, South Kent coast. Right. It's a nuclear power station. It's a beach. I'm it's, looking on Google now. And I'm it's gonna, where gonna... Derek, it's where where Derek Jarman lives. Demi, you're right. Okay. Or lived because Dungeness B. Dungeness. That was it. I told you it sounded like a peen and wonder. Uh, <laughs> if you say it quick. It's got a U in it and three <laughs> syllables. Dungeness. So we did that down there and we spent all day posing about. And and the very last picture he took of us was, I think, I think he'd run out of film because it was still back in the days of film. It was before digital. And he said, oh, I've just got a couple left on the on the reel. Is it all right if I just snap another couple as we walked back? We were walking back. And we were just clowning around because we thought we'd finished. And he, he he took a shot of the band that, that was such a cool shot. We we included it in the we did a, a special vinyl of dry, of the dry land dry single, land. the see-through vinyl, ten inch or something. And it's in it's in there that 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 Andy Earl shot, and I've got the I've, I think I've got the the Peruvian jacket on. That's it. Look, he's off. He's going to find it now. Anthony's just he's just he's gone to the library. He's dug it out. There's the coat. Now, if you open that up, hang on a minute. Put my earphones back in. <laughs> So the shot on the front is a bit, you know is one of the posed shots, and then inside is the one where we're having a laugh and walking back. Right, I'll have a look. Oh, and I'm wearing the shoes that I gave the little Mexican man forty quid to shine. Ah, now it's not in there. Is it so not it in be, there? No, so it must be it must be in one of the others because that's oh, the one I remember. Not, on the uh, on the on now that is that the ten inch or the twelve? That's the twelve inch. Hang on two seconds. You, you're going to pad a bit. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone to get the ten inch, which could also be a good, good title for this episode, but not as good as the solitary crouton. Um, I haven't got he, a clue what you've said. He's back with the ten inch now. Or Number he, two, two thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. This pleased one. to see me. I'm not sure. Let's have a look. Um, ah, is that yes, it? You see, is that what you're talking about? That's the shot. Is the top of Mark's head cut off? Yeah, that's yes, it. Yes, it is. We th- I thought that was a brilliant shot. I, I mean, his head's cut off because it actually was cut off of the of the actual shot, so there wasn't... These days we would have photoshopped the top of Mark's head on. Because <laughs> 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 had it stuck up. <laughs> or intentionally cropped it off, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice scarf that Pete's wearing. That was a good. That was a great shot. It's a great shot. I actually, wanna, uh, that's my favourite show of the band, I think, of all time. That, yeah, maybe that and uh, the one Anne Marie did last a couple of years ago of us sitting in the stalls at the Albert Hall. That's at the Albert Hall, shot. that is a great shot actually. If you've not seen this, it's 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 um, yeah, it's the limited dryland ten inch. And what was interesting about that is that that's. Um, the rest of the shots in there are from the album launch party at the Borderline, oh. uh, and I was at that gig with um, with another one of the Purple patrons, a lady called Jenny, who who's a, a, a patron. We were both at that gig, hmm. and I think you did half a dozen acoustic tracks, including Substitute, which made its way onto one of the right one of the versions. In fact, it's on the twelve inch. There we have it. I so yes, so if you've not seen pot. those, you want to you want to search those out. Uh, actually, because those those you're right. That image is brilliant. Mm. That must that image must be kicking around somewhere. And you, that was you ought to bang it on your Instagram. It's a great. Yeah, if I could find it, my God, e- EMI will have ended up with that, and yeah. so it'll have probably gone in a skip when Warner's bought them, or it'll be in a drawer somewhere that no one's got the key to. But we can have a look. I mean, everything's online, isn't it these days? It'll be around Somebody somewhere. It'll be around it somewhere. But, um, but that is a good shot, and that was the Peruvian jacket that I bought in mm. Kings Road. And on some of those shots of that Andy Earl session, I was wearing a big black um, flying jacket, a leather leather and mm. and uh, fleece that was Mosley's, uh, and far too big for me, but kind of looked cool for, for all the more for it. So I was I was borrowing clothes, um, 
during that shoot. But the the Peruvian thing was my own. And then I, went, I, I also went through a phase of these really long black coats, the long black silk numbers mm. that I still sometimes throw on for the beginning of Splinter and Heart. And, um, maybe I used that. Now, during the Brave tour, then I went uh, clerical and mm. um, wore, um, wore, wore priest's clothes. So I wore the black cassock um, during the Brave tour and a, a, with, a white, uh, with a white lady's blouse underneath so that when I stripped it off and put my ha- hair and pigtails, I could change gender for hard as love. So I, I, yeah, I did the. I, I went biblical uh, during Brave. Then on AOS, I remember doing a gig at the Roadmender in um, Northampton. We did a warm-up show at this little club, um, and it was boiling hot. It was absolutely rammed. It was illegal. Um, and I came on dressed as a boxer for that, and the boxing gloves. Um, the boxing gloves and the silk shorts and the boxing boots and everything for the beginning of Gaspacho. Um, so that was another one. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find something now to, sh- to, to show you while we're... Yeah, I can do it. I can just about do it. Hang on two seconds. Right. Uh, you can just about make that. I'm going to share the screen with you. Hang on. Um, so that's the album. If you can see, that's the album... Um, back of the album cover for Made Again, the live album. Yeah, and that's and that's obviously that's the AOS tour. Ah, yes, that little black vest. That was now that who? Oof, that was who was that by? I think that was by female. Oh, that was the French woman. What was her name? I used to wear her stuff a lot. She had a shop in Covent Garden. Oh, that'll come to me. I'm afraid that particular crouton is still below. Below decks, <laughs> but it may the, the fl- level. It may float off. <laughs> Good God, look at that! Well, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll stop there oh, because the that takes. Leather, I've, I've found a black leather jacket in Cologne one day out shopping, and I've worn that for years and years and years, and still wear that. And that's that's starting to fall to bits. But I've worn a black leather jacket for most of the H Natural shows, haven't I? O- over a white shirt. Oh yeah, yeah. And I bought that in Cologne. Well, I'm, I think we might come back to this, actually, because this is a rich seam. I thought this might be a bit of a filler, but actually this is a rich seam of information. Yeah, gold Would you, trousers, you know. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, we've been on, we've been talking 40 minutes, you know, and we haven't, we've only got as far as AOS. So we'll stop at AOS. Tie. Yeah, I'm thinking of Paper Lies now on the Brave. I used to, I used to dress up as a game show host. Yes. I? Yes. <laughs> uh, in that gold jacket. That gold jacket was good. <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll come back to this, but we're, we're as far as AOS, which is great because we're going to talk to that in the diary section that's coming. So that was that black T-shirt, that was that was the black jeans, very simple kind of stage mm. affair, loads of beads. And you're right, your hair was your hair was well long. Well, yeah, grown out a bit. Yeah, before I went grey. Um, you haven't gone grey, have you? Well, some some would say. Um, let's let's go and have some diary. We've we've got a couple of days in um, in Washington. In Washington, Mm-mm. starting with the day off, uh, and then we'll come back for a little bit of a wrap up after that, um, and we'll come back to clothes on a different different day because there's actually quite a lot to to go out there. Yes. Um, so we'll we'll do that because it also takes us through things like publicity shots, which is actually quite nice because I'd forgotten about that photo shoot uh, for for around the dryland. Or the, the, the you know that was visible on the dryland stuff, and it's yeah you're right that's a great shot that one of the band on the beach. So I will leave it to you. I'm going to pass to you, and you can take us to uh, Washington. Yes, let's go and visit a couple of mules. Tuesday, 1st of August, Washington. Day off. Got up, showered and took the elevator down to the breakfast room, clutching my faithful old Macintosh laptop so I could write up this diary. 
The staff in the hotel restaurant were mostly Mexican and the waiters looked like a mariachi band. I was reminded of the time in 1994 when Mark and I had flown straight from Tokyo after our Japan dates to Mexico City and arrived at our hotel, so jet-lagged we could barely stand up. Raimondo and Camilo from EMI Mexico had been there to greet us and were determined to take us out just for one beer, they said. We both explained that we were unable to function, let alone drink even one Corona, and we must go straight to bed. Somehow, Mexican bonhomie won over physical possibility, and we ended up agreeing to go to just one bar. Before working our way around Camillo and Raimundo's favourite haunts, perhaps promises had been made to various bar owners. When I finally hit the wall around midnight and my head descended to the table we were sitting at. We'd probably been awake for 40 hours at this point and just as my eyes were rolling upwards into unconsciousness, I was shocked rigid into terror as mariachi trumpets suddenly blared towards us at point-blank range. Someone had arranged entertainment at the table for us. The most vicious alarm clock known to man. To this day, mariachi music induces a slight twitch, even though I enjoy it. I spent my PDs for the day on breakfast. Eggs Benedict, hash browns, toast, OJ, coffee, which is a little excessive. But the orange juice alone was worth it. I make no secret of the fact that America isn't my number one favourite country on the planet, but I've never tasted orange juice like this anywhere else. Around 8.45, as I was finishing up, I was joined by Stuart and Mark. I gave Mark my seat at the table and went off in search of a hairdresser's. I was told by the Iranian receptionist that they could do me at 11 o'clock, so I returned to the hotel and to Tim's room, where I had a look through the stage clothes. It seems the, quote, expensive girl who went shopping, unquote, I refuse to call her a stylist, hasn't bought Pete any shirts. The shorts and trousers she bought Ian are much too big and everything else is generally wrong. Oh well, we've already paid her. She saw us coming. Returned to the hairdressers and was done by Jeff, who was born and raised here in DC. He said, with a grin, that the order of the day here is a bob and a string of pearls, but I opted for just a trim. I was introduced to the staff, Alan from County Cork, Christine from Belfast and Julia from El Salvador. Put the boys on the guest list for tomorrow night. The girls weren't interested. I wandered down the road in search of a music shop. I'm looking around for a reverb delay pedal to put my voice through when I'm writing in hotel rooms. There isn't one in Georgetown, so I turned my attention to shower gel and ankle straps. No luck there either. Bought a couple of embroidered shirts in a hippie shop opposite the hotel and returned to spend the rest of the afternoon reading. I have come to the last part of War and Peace where Tolstoy stops storytelling and starts theorising at length, refuting the accepted ideas of power, the course of history, political and social order as a product of the will of man. He thinks it more or less all happens by chance. I tend to agree with him look at rock and roll. It's the heaviest part of the book and I'm not really in the mood to think about it. We'll try again when I'm feeling more settled. I had a dip in the pool and half an hour in the sun before going back up to room 909 to fiddle about with my recently acquired pocket sequencer. The next thing I knew it was eight o'clock and I'd got earache so I called Tim who told me the boys were meeting up in the bar. I showered and went downstairs where I said hello to our old chum, guitar, tech and opening act John Wesley Durth, better known to us as Wes, who had arrived from his home in Tampa, Florida. He hasn't changed and seems currently happy with life and excited to be doing it all again. We all walked round the corner to one of those rock and roll diners, drank beer and ate hamburgers with chowder and cornbread like good all-American boys. There were lesbians holding hands in the corner, an office party along the wall, advertisements for flybait on TV, 
waitresses in white socks and Reeboks, and a sign on the wall read, Put a piece of the South in your mouth. No one got shot. Got back to the hotel around 12 and hung around in the street waiting for Priv, Alan, Roger and Grant to arrive from England. I was tired so I gave up waiting and went to bed, falling asleep halfway through Pulp Fiction, which takes some doing, I can tell you. Wednesday, 2nd of August, Washington, the Bayou. Woke at four once again and fought my way back to unconsciousness, not waking again until 8.10, almost normal. Showered and went downstairs. Decided this morning to opt for the greasy spoon over the road and sat surrounded by workmen in hard hats while eating scrambled egg on toast with a plastic knife and fork and tapping away at the laptop. I had to forego God's orange juice. There were no tablecloths on the tables and the seats were so hard they hurt my bum. But at $3.75 for breakfast it was a bargain. Yesterday cost 20 After breakfast, I went off looking for a dry cleaners in the hope of finding someone to take up the legs of my new jeans. Once again, it's a scorcher of a day and very humid, reminiscent of Tokyo last year. I walked round the back of the hotel, over the canal lock where there was a large canal boat moored, some sort of a tourist thing, and beside it, two mules. I've only ever seen mules in movies. They were the size, shape and colour of thoroughbred horses, but with facial features that hinted of donkey. Much larger and more beautiful than I'd imagined, and of course the very epitome of frontier America. I carried on walking down to the Potomac River, watching the aeroplanes landing. There was a girl out rowing, an image which took me back to the Eton Excelsior Club that I almost joined back in 1987. I heard the whap, whap, whap of a Huey helicopter flying low over the river, a reminder of the political and darker military undercurrents, Vietnam, Watergate, Central America, associated with the capital. Whatever happened to Noriega? I never heard. Did they let him quietly out of the back door in return for keeping quiet about the old days? It could never happen in England. They'd never even have arrested him in the first place. Why did Margaret Thatcher authorise the bombing of Tripoli? We were never told, were we? I pondered all this as I sat by the river, drinking cappuccino in the searing morning sunshine. On the return journey to the hotel, I ran into Stuart on his way to the load-in at the bayou, so I accompanied him down to the gig in order to say good morning to Priv, Alan, Roger and Grant, who I hadn't seen since arriving in the USA. The Bayou is much as I remember it from previous tours. A rock and roll club. I hung around for a while writing out a set list for the boys and, as space was restricted, trying not to get in the way before I continued my search for a repairs-while-you-wait laundry. I eventually found one and gave them my jeans, returning to the hotel to get my remaining stage clothes together. Spent half an hour removing labels from T-shirts and sewing up the holes I accidentally made. Soundcheck was 4.30. I walked over to the venue with Tim. There were already a few fans outside the bayou. When I got inside, it became immediately apparent that I wouldn't be required for at least an hour, so I went back outside and chatted to the people in the line, who seemed to have come from all over America. The sound check wore on until past 7.30. At 7.25, I remembered I hadn't been to collect my trousers, so one of the fans was dispatched and returned later in triumph, having arrived at the alterations place with only a minute to spare. From my perspective, the show went well. There were the usual monitor difficulties, which always accompany the first few shows of a tour. Afterwards, it was generally felt that the show was at too low an energy level, with perhaps a little too much emphasis on the last two albums. I chatted to a few people after the show and signed autographs before returning to the hotel to shower and check out. Climbed aboard the tour bus at 4.30 and into my bunk, feeling utterly spent. I was to discover that Stuart had left his bum bag at the bayou containing his money, credit cards, address book and passport. 
He went back for it and it's nowhere to be found. Oh dear. Didn't sleep too well. It always takes a few days to get used to sleeping on tour buses. And we're back. Yeah. Um, and, and a nice little section of diary there. Oh, uh, lovely. And, and there's loads we could go at. Obviously, we did talk a little bit about clothes and 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 the uh, the, the shopping specialist who I think probably saw you coming. Um, <laughs> oh, the stylist. I, the stylist. The, yes. Yeah. Occasionally, EMI used to bring a stylist in for our photo shoots, and this would be a girl who'd go shopping. Of course, didn't know us. Um, and the idea is that they're going to style you. And so they, they turn up with all of these T-shirts and, you know, trousers and clothes, that, that in the, certainly in the case of the band, because they're quite conservative, none of them would be seen dead in. So it's a complete waste of money. Um, I'm a little more adventurous, so, I, you know, I would try a couple of these things on and go, are you having a laugh? And then put them down again. And then they'd send an invoice for a thousand quid or something. It's yeah. it's a good job being a stylist. You, you basically go shopping and, and, and charge somebody a grand. <laughs> I should become one. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I don't know who for, but... I hate shopping, so I, no, I shouldn't become one. I should send the missus out. She loves right. shopping. She could become one. Yeah, she would be a good stylist. Okay. Um, the only thing I th- really want to talk about from the diary section is is mules. <laughs> um, well, as well you might. Well, yes, because I've never seen a mule. Thinking about it, no, it's funny, isn't it? They're they're kind of they're in the public's consciousness because of all the of the Wild West, I guess. All the all the old Wild West movies, you know, people that have mules and pulling wagon trains and whatnot. And so you know about mules, and yet in England, I don't think I've ever seen one. I don't know if there is a mule anywhere in England, maybe in a no. zoo or something. Um, but I, there I am in Washington, D.C. I went for a little walk on a hot day, found this canal, and standing by this canal are these two enormous... I mean, I was just shocked by the size of them. They're like thoroughbred racehorses, you know, maybe even taller, so they're massive. And but they've got sort of donkey's heads, and they were black and really strangely beautiful. And I was transfixed. I sat there looking at them for ages, going, "Oh, look at that mules, mules!" And they, I really felt like I was in America then. <laughs> I'm really in America now. There's mules, and to this day, you've never seen another one. I've never seen another one anywhere. Not even no. in America. I've never seen another one. So maybe they're dying out. They must have been using them for pulling um, canal boats because they were yeah. by the canal, so maybe they use them for pulling narrow boats along. Do they have narrow boats in America? I can't remember. I, I don't. And, and here's the thing: even if they did, I don't know what they'd be called because I've, I can't imagine they'd be called narrow boats or barges, would they? I don't think anything in America is narrow, is it? No. Although, you know, everything's wide in America, including the canals, no doubt. So. They probably don't have narrow boats. They probably just have boats. But it was definitely a canal then. It was a man-made thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Right. Because I've never really thought of America as canals either. But I suppose... Yeah, I suppose they must have. Well, I found one. Right. In Washington. (laughs) Somewhere I've always wanted to go, Washington. I I find it one of those places I'm really quite attracted to and I don't really know why. It's a funny place, Washington, because a lot of it is really, you know, rough, rough and ready and dirt poor. And then there's Georgetown, which is really super posh, you know, where all the politicians are and the lobbyists and, you know, everybody's very dressed up and the women all have bob and pearls. Um, So it's a very divided city, Washington, D.C., um, but I had the great good fortune to, to uh, you know, as I've said before, I had a tour of the, the White House. And and one stupendous glass of orange juice, by the sounds of things. 
oh, the orange juice in that hotel was the best I've ever had. Still, to this day, I, I still reminisce about that. their orange juice. But it was expensive, but it was bloody great. Um, but, but it was the kind of hotel where you'd go to breakfast once and then, yeah. you know, you'd get the bill and go, holy Jesus Christ. <laughs> You've <better> <laughs> Find somewhere else for day two. Find somewhere else for day two, yeah. 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 I've done that a few times in the US. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the, the posh breakfast doesn't work somehow over there, does it? Well, no, because it's always, you know, all you can eat and all of that. And nobody wants... Well, I don't. I can't eat a big breakfast, you know. More, time, more often than not, I can't eat a solid breakfast. <laughs> Today is one of those days. <laughs> See, I'm the other way around. In the, whenever I go to the US, I'm starving, hungry in the morning, and then I'm not bothered for the rest of the day. Oh, don't know what it is. So I like it. I like a America. I ooh, I, ooh, dear. Yes. Well, that's probably jet lag, you know. Cause, yes, because you get up for breakfast in America, and you you're kind of ready for lunch, aren't you? Yeah. Here, so it's probably the jet lag. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll leave it there for 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 sixty two. Um, I think we've uh, we've chanced on something with uh, with the old um, clothes based episode. Yes, uh, there's much more to tell. I, I don't know what you're going to do that's clothes related for the Croomcast, um, particularly. Um, <laughs> but I'll leave it there, and we'll see, and we'll see what we end up with. Because right. it wouldn't be an episode now if I didn't drop you in it with the Croomcast yes. five minutes before. Yeah, we oh, forgot we can do a song about croutons. I don't <laughs> think there is one, isn't there? I have to give it a lot of thought. <laughs> what rhymes with crouton? <laughs> well, there's a great, um, there's a great John Hegley poem, which he introduces by saying, "This next poem um, is a um, a reference to my uh, social roots um, as a consequence of um, of having become a poet and 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 risen." My status in society has come up a little bit. Um, uh, and he says, here it is. I remember Luton as I'm swallowing my crouton. Thank you very much. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're done then. Just put that to a bit of music and you're sorted. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that'll work. John Hegley. <laughs> John Hegley wrote the best rhyme I've ever heard, which was in a in a in a poem called "Eddie Don't Like Furniture" about a guy who hates furniture. <laughs> and he said, and there's the, the, all this stuff about how he hates furniture, and he even took the even took the plank out of a rowing boat because it, it you know it was something to sit on. Uh, and and, um, and at the very end, he says, it just says. Eddie don't like furniture. If you get him some for Christmas, he'll return it to you. <laughs> Favourite rhyme ever. <laughs> oh, oh, that is up there, isn't it? <laughs> that, that That's up there with Tim Rice in Joseph and his amazing technical dream coat. Uh, his amazing clothing took the biscuit quite the smoothest person in the district. That's That was always a rhyme I liked. Oh. Well, it's not quite a rhyme, is it? Biscuit well, District. Well, it's close enough. I mean, risk it. He, he did all right out of it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> right, we'll call it a day for 62. Uh, enjoy your rest of your day. You're going you're gonna to come round slowly? Uh, uh, yes, I might, I might go back to bed yeah, and come round slowly. Um, I, think you, I think you should. You've done a solid hour there. I think you should. should uh... <laughs> I've been back to bed once. <laughs> I go back to bed twice. Twice. <laughs> was it a bad hangover? Yes, it was a, a back to bed twicer. <laughs> that could be a title of an episode as well. <laughs> it was a back to bed twicer. <laughs> right, well, well, thank you everybody for listening um, to this fascinating tale. And uh, take it easy, stay purple. See you next week. Woo. Do you want to say something, Ant? I, I, I thought you'd nailed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lovely. I remember Luton 
as I'm swallowing my crouton. Lady don't like furniture. If you give him some for Christmas, he'll return it. He'll return it. Thank you, Kevin Henshaw. Thank you, Robbie, too. And Hazel Ramsey. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for being purple, everyone. See you next week. Except that I won't. Oh, what was that ending? Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.